I'm Dawn Durham, and welcome to Patent Pod. If we think about the traditional language arts block in a classroom, we see evidence of reading instruction, and oftentimes a separate block of time for spelling that is typically shorter in duration. Spelling is important on its own, and we need to provide spelling instruction in conjunction with reading instruction. Joining us today is Dr. Dr. Rebecca Treeman, a researcher and college teacher who will be bringing what she knows from research to our discussion today about the intersection between spelling and reading. Dr. Treeman, it is an absolute joy to have you on Patent Pod today. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So let me ask you this. You know, here's the conversation we see lots of folks having out in the field. Is spelling instruction important? I mean, let's think about this. We have spell checkers and we have all this technology now that can help us with our spelling skills when we're uh, trying to get our thoughts down on paper. So what's the research on whether or not we should be providing spelling instruction in the classroom? Yeah, well, that's a great uh, question. And um, let me tell you about a research study that was currently done. This was done with college uh, students. And so what they did was that they measured how long it took people to pronounce a set of words. So these were kind of difficult words. So they're looking at how long does it take you to say each word aloud? And um, like I said, these were difficult words that when the students themselves tried to spell the words, sometimes they make mistakes. So then the students were taught the spellings, they practiced the spellings, and then they measured again after that teaching the speed of reading. And uh, what they found out was when, for the words where students did learn the spelling, their reading speed increased. They got better. They got more fluent at reading the word. For the words that they hadn't learned the spelling, uh, they didn't show the same kinds of um, increases. So that's just one study, but it suggests that learning to spell words correctly actually helps your ability to read those words. So it speaks to reading and spelling are connected and learning spelling helps your reading. So that's one reason why, why spelling is important. So reading and spelling are interconnected. They are, they are interconnected. each other, as they you just shared, that you know, when we taught those college, now again, college students sample, but when we taught those college students the spelling um, aspects of the words, they could read them more fluently. So I think that's an important point to make. So then kind of thinking about that, let me ask this. We, we, we said reading and spelling are connected. Well then, you know, what does this mean when we talk about it? What about the different skills? Like, I, could I have a student who is a good speller but a poor reader? Could I have a student who's a good reader but a poor speller? So how does that work together? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, that traditional idea of having one block during your school day for reading and another block for spelling, it's based on the assumption that those are separate skills. So we need to teach them at separate times. And that has kind of been the traditional assumption within education, I think. Yeah. And some researchers have also <clears throat> taken the view, <clears throat> excuse me, that reading and spelling are kind of separate and that the skills can dissociate from one another in the sense that, like you said, you could have one person who's a really good reader, but a poor speller, another person who's a really good speller, but a poor reader. And so there have been some researchers who have suggested that the skills can dissociate from one another in that way. But in fact, the majority of the research does not support that idea. 
the majority of the research is increasingly supporting the idea that reading and spelling are closely connected. So um, if somebody is above average in reading, they're going to be above average in spelling and by about the same amount. If they're below average in reading, they're going to be below average in spelling and by about the same amount. So the individual differences in the two are really, really closely connected. Um, and I'm involved in some research kind of looking at this. Uh, if you just give you know, a child a test of reading and a test of spelling, and you look at, you know, across children, are those two scores correlated? Are the people who are high in one high in the other? And in general, they are, but, you know, the correlation isn't perfect. But part of the reason that the correlation isn't perfect is, well, the tests themselves are imperfect. You know, if you take some steps to, let's say, give each kid several tests of spelling and several tests of reading and get a better measure that kind of averages over sort of glitches or lack of attention on one particular test, then you find that the correlation between reading and spelling is amazingly high, amazingly high when you kind of rule out that sort of take steps to deal with the imperfections of the test. And um, it's not perfect, it's not totally perfect, but it's really, really close. Um, one of the big researchers in the area of spelling is uh, Dr. Linnea Airy. Some of your <clears throat> researchers, uh, very well known among researchers, very well known among uh, educators too. And she wrote an article, oh, I think uh, 10 or 15 years ago, and it had the title, Reading and Spelling are One and the Same, Almost. And that's what the research is increasingly supporting. They're very, very closely connected. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, but another important thing to keep in mind is that even though, you know, somebody who's good at reading is also good at spelling, spelling is in general harder. It's harder for everyone. So everyone has some words that they can read and understand, but they have trouble spelling. So for me, one of those words is necessary. You know, I have trouble when I, I can read it perfectly well, I understand it perfectly well. But when you're reading, you can kind of gloss over these subtle things like whether there's two C's or whether there's one C or whether there's two S's and one S. You can read the word fine without that because there's no other really similar word. But whenever I go to spell that word, I really have to say, oh my gosh, is it two C's? Is it one C? Two S's, one S? So that's an example of how spelling is harder. Well, really, if you think about it, I mean, and help me out here, but reading is a recognition task, spelling is a retrieval task. So it would be a harder task than that reading. And, you know, I, I appreciate that you had said, well, we may have some more traditional views out there that reading is separate and spelling is separate. The evidence, the research suggests that they are actually very tightly connected. Um, and, and you had said, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but we wouldn't see these large disparities that we're, we're kind of referencing here. And a, a super speller and a poor reader, or a super reader and a poor speller. We wouldn't really see those larger disparities because right. they're so tightly interconnected. They're so closely yeah. connected. They're so closely connected. The connection isn't 100% perfect, but it's really close, so we do not see those large disparities. Okay, so then let's think about spelling instruction because you know, you and I have both heard, you can't teach spelling, there's so many exceptions, right? All you can do is rote memorization. So speak to me a little bit about that argument that you know, you and I have both heard numerous times out there. Right, right. And that's really the basis of a lot of traditional spelling instruction, that idea that 
you know, English especially is so irregular that, you know, any kind of rule you would teach, it just got so many exceptions. And so then that kind of leads to the idea, well, the only way to really teach spelling is by rote memorization. Let's give children a list of words on Monday and then we'll test them on Friday. And in that kind of traditional instruction, the words really don't have any linguistic characteristics in common. It's just maybe a list of common words or a list of words related to the weather. And children are encouraged to learn them just by maybe looking at it and then covering it and trying to spell it themselves. So really no discussion of the reasons why the words are spelled as they are or any kind of common spelling patterns. And that's all based on the idea that there really isn't much there to teach because the writing system has just got so many exceptions. But the more we learn about the writing system, the more we see that there are actually rules and patterns that are useful to know and that do benefit spelling. Yes, there are some exceptions, but you know, if there's a small number of exceptions, it doesn't mean just totally throw out the pattern. It means, yeah, this is a useful pattern. It's not going to work for every single word, but it's going to work a large percentage of the time. So, you know, just as a few examples, think about um, double consonants. Um, double consonants can occur in the middles of words. They occur sometimes at the ends of words. They hardly ever occur at the beginnings of words. That's something useful for kids to know. Okay, there is the word llama. That's an exception. So it's a rule, there's an exception, but it works most of the words. There's very few, I think llama might be the only word in English and it comes from Peru. Um, that's about the only word that has a, a double consonant at the beginning. Or another example would be double consonants at the ends of words. There are some consonants like L that often double at the ends of one syllable word. So you have bell, you have hill. But interestingly, there's another rule there. Uh, this kind of doubling happens only after a single vowel letter. It doesn't happen after a sequence of two vowel letters. So you never spell seal as S-E-A-L-L. -L. You don't see double L's after double vowels. And for that one, I can't even think of any exceptions. I think that's a really, really solid rule. So those are interesting rules. They deal with sort of sequences of letters and then other rules, of course, deal with sounds. So let's, um, just to give you an example, the sound ow. So you think, how do you spell ow? Okay, sometimes it's O-U, like in loud. Sometimes it's O-W, as in uh, clown. Um, and so some spelling programs teach, okay, there's two ways to spell ow. You can do O-U, you can do O-W. And that's, that's fine, but we can even go beyond that and say there's some uh, context, there's some kinds of words that have the O-U and some kinds of words that have the O-W. So the O-W spelling is typically found before L or N, like howl or clown or down. When the O sound occurs before an L or an N, it's usually spelled with O-W. When the ow sound occurs before some other consonant, it's usually spelled as O-U, like loud, O-U, shout, O-U. 
So there we can look at the consonant that follows the ow sound. And we can say if it's an L or an N, it's usually going to be spelled with O-W. If it's something else, it's usually going to be spelled with O-U. You usually know, works. Yeah, you know, when you always, this, you're, you're talking about patterns and rules. I mean, that's what our brains are, right? Our brains are pattern-seeking. So if we explicitly teach these patterns and these rules that we experience in our English language, yes, there's gonna be a rule breaker here and there, but as you had said, the majority of the time, these patterns and these rules apply versus let's think about what the more traditional viewpoint is. Let's give our students a list of 20 words on Monday, they spell them on Friday, and we create Friday spellers. By Sunday morning, those kiddos have no idea what words were on that test, right? Because it just kind of went right out of their right out of their head. So what do we want to produce? Friday spellers or students who can actually understand the English language and do something with those patterns and the rules? And I think that's really an important point to make when we think about spelling instruction, especially as we're, you know, we're moving into a new academic school year. How might we want to shift our thinking? about spelling instruction to enhance and refine our practices. So then let me ask you this, when we're talking about spelling and reading being so connected, can we use spelling samples, spelling analysis to, certainly we can guide our instruction in spelling, but can we also use it to guide our instruction in reading to, come, to kind of create these instructional targets? Can we use spelling samples and spelling analysis in both ways? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly analysis of spellings can help uh, spelling instruction. And just to give you an example of that, um, a common kind of error that we see in maybe kindergartners, first graders is with spelling consonant clusters, worked with consonant clusters. So a child might spell the word snake. They might leave out the N. They might write S-A-K or S-A-K-E. They're trying to spell the word grin. They leave out the R. They write G-I-N. That's a very common error that we'd see in beginning spellers. And um, what that error suggests um, is a difficulty in breaking up the consonant clusters when you hear them into individual phonemes. So you need to be able to hear snake not just as starting with snuh, but you need to be able to break that up. Oh, yeah, that's a suh sound and a nuh sound. Gruh. That's not just a single unit. That's a guh and a ruh. So a teacher who can look at the mistake, it's not because the child, you know, if the child spells snake is S-A-K. It's not that they don't know the letter N in most cases. That's not usually the problem. Uh, it's not that they're mispronouncing the word. In most cases, they're pronouncing the word totally fine. So if we can think about the reason for the error, realize that in most cases, it's not a lack of knowledge of the letter, it's not a mispronunciation. And then we can say, okay, it's reflecting this lack of phonemic analysis, dividing up that cluster into individual sounds. And so what the child needs is practice with phonemic analysis with clusters. And that's gonna help the child's spelling, And we know that phonemic analysis teaching also helps reading. So that's just one example of how um, kind of using analyses of spelling errors can really help us direct teaching 
So again, it's that piece of not seeing these as two separate skills, not seeing these in isolation in these silos, but really using a, a writing sample, a spelling analysis to guide our instruction, that phonemic, um, that phonemic analysis for reading and spelling as they, they work hand in hand. So I think that's, you know, those are all great points to make. And I, I want to kind of bring it down to that, this practical application piece. For those um, teachers out there, for those instructional leaders of the classroom, what do we need to be able to articulate? What do we need to be able to do and know to enhance our spelling instruction as we're coming up on a new school year? What kind of, what can you offer those teachers? Well, I think one, one thing is just how cool and how interesting the English writing system is. So taking a look at the English writing system, thinking about its rules and its patterns, uh, I'm not dismissing it as, you know, totally chaotic, totally unprincipled. Um, becoming interested, why are words spelled the way they are? Uh, that's a really interesting thing to learn about, the patterns that sort of underlie our spelling. And teachers who are interested and enthusiastic about that can convey that uh, interest to their students. They can encourage students to be kind of like detectives, looking at words, discovering the patterns. Kids love doing this, you know, the patterns behind dinosaurs, the patterns in weather. Words are an equally cool object of study, and by um, teachers can kind of instill that enthusiasm in their uh, students. So foster the sense of curiosity is what I hear you yeah. saying, right? Foster a sense of curiosity amongst your students. Mm -hmm. And then the more teachers can learn about um, the typical types of spelling errors that children make at different ages and the reasons behind the errors, that can really help in um, fostering instruction as well. So the example I was giving about um, before about leaving out uh, a consonant letter and a cluster, knowing that's a common error, knowing that it usually reflects a difficulty in phonemic awareness. That's a really useful thing for a teacher to know and can help them to know what to do in the case of that child. So the more teachers can learn about uh, spelling development, um, the better teachers they can be. And perhaps I think I'll add to that list as you had kind of alluded to that is, is uh, really framing the English language and the spelling of our English language as unique and cool versus chaotic and wacky, right? Kind of taking that out of our repertoire and using the terms cool and unique when we talk about our spelling words and our spelling patterns. Um, you know, so just to kind of bring that back for that, again, for that application piece, we're talking about fostering curiosity. Um, within ourselves and our students for our spelling, thinking through common spelling errors and that um, analysis of spelling errors can really um, help us to guide our instruction, know what's common, um, what may need to be red flagged for us for spelling and reading instruction, um, and then just really, really being able to understand and grasp spelling development so that we know where there um, is a concern, where we need to intervene, how we need to provide that explicit instruction. Am I getting all of that correct when we think about teacher application of spelling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
you know, this is such an important conversation. As we had kind of started out our time together, Dr. Treeman, talking about rather than seeing these reading and spelling in two different buckets, how they really enhance each other and how we want them to be in alignment. Instead of having two parallel systems, we really want this integration of reading and spelling. And as you had um, so graciously shared with us today, there are ways in which we can do that as the instructional leaders and as learners for ourselves. So I'm so appreciative that we got an opportunity to speak with you. And I, I certainly look forward to future opportunities to chat with you about spelling. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, this has been great. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.